Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Find out about new shows, featured guests, and what's up this week. Find us on Facebook by searching keyword Voice America. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good afternoon and welcome to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community. Your host is Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. This hour is designed to inspire, inform, and to help you live better with cancer. Now, here's your host, Kim Tibaldo. Welcome to Frankly Speaking About Cancer, an internet radio show that focuses on informing and inspiring people to live well with cancer. I'm Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. The wellness community and Gilda's Club have united to become the cancer support community, one of the largest providers of cancer support in the U.S. and around the world. Uh, Our services are now offered at more than 100 locations worldwide and online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. On today's show, which is being brought to you in part by AZI and Morphotech, we'll be talking about cancer prevention. February is National Cancer Prevention Month, and today we know that many cancers are preventable and considerable considerable progress has been made in cancer prevention research. Uh, Although we don't know or understand really exactly what causes many cancers, we do know many of the factors that put us at higher risk for different types of cancer. Uh, Then there are many lifestyle changes uh, that can significantly reduce your risk of developing certain cancers. In fact, the American Institute for Cancer Research estimates that for every 100 people diagnosed with cancer, 33 cases could be prevented through lifestyle changes. And uh, some of these changes, and we're going to dive into these with our guests, certainly include avoiding tobacco, uh, excessive sun exposure, uh, uh, losing excess weight, eating healthy, limiting uh, alcohol uh, intake, and some other things that we're going to dive into here. Um, Our guests will talk to us about some important steps we can take to try to prevent cancer. Uh, Prevention, unfortunately, isn't always possible, and so we will also be speaking about the importance of cancer screening and early detection as well. I am very pleased to have uh, two very knowledgeable guests who will discuss cancer prevention, screening, access to resources, and research advances in screening and prevention. Uh, we are joined by Carolyn Aldiger, also known as Bo, president and founder of the Prevent Cancer Foundation. Uh, Bo founded the organization in 1985 in memory of her father, Edward Richardson, who died of cancer one year earlier. In the 25 years since its inception, the Prevent Cancer Foundation has provided more than $125 million in support of its mission, saving lives through cancer prevention and early detection. It has become a nationally recognized organization, a leader in the fight against cancer through prevention and a very close friend and ally of the cancer support community. Thanks for being here, Bo. My pleasure. We're also joined by Dr. David S. Alberts. Dr. Alberts has had a strong career focus on cancer prevention and treatment research. The emphasis of his laboratory-based and clinical research has been on uh, chemo prevention and treatment of such pervasive and potentially deadly diseases, cancers of the breast, colon, 
ovary, and skin. Presently, Dr. Alberts helps to coordinate Phase One and Two pharmacokinetic drug studies at the University of Arizona Cancer Center. He is also the chairman, uh, vice chairman, and scientific director emeritus of the Prevent Cancer Foundation and chairman of the Foundation's Medical Advisory Board. Welcome, Dr. Alberts. Welcome to you. Thank you. Uh, I want to jump right in here uh, to the conversation. Obviously, this is a with 77 million uh, baby boomers. Um, this topic of cancer prevention uh, is on everyone's mind. I think a lot of confusing information out there, maybe some myths and misconceptions, and we want to clear some of that up today. So, Dr. Alberts, I'm going to start with you. I think really uh, for our listeners, many people might be surprised to know that that many cancers are. Uh, preventable. So can you give us an idea of how many cases uh, diagnosed could fall into the um, preventable category? Well, we have expect to have more than 1.6 million new cases of cancer in the United States in 2012. And it's predicted that there could be as much as a 40% reduction in that number if we followed very basic prevention and health promotion strategies. And as the uh, president of the Union International Cancer Congress, UICC, said in February 2010, can you imagine the jubilation that would be celebrated throughout the world if we had a new pill that prevented 40% of the cancers? So it's very, it comes down to everyday terms that Americans like to take pills to do something, to treat something, to prevent something, but they don't want to change their lifestyle. And it's all about lifestyle. Yeah, I think if it were a pill, we'd have some people right now who'd be chained to the fence of the FDA, perhaps uh, <laughs> perhaps demanding it. Um, uh, we know uh, quitting smoking or never starting Smoking is perhaps maybe the most obvious step one can take to prevent cancer, and maybe that's one that our listeners might know about or, or, or think about. Um, but what are, what are some of the other key things that people can do that will make an, a, a big impact in terms of, uh, of cancer prevention, Dr. Alberts? Well, if you look at the 1.6 million new cases, about 320,000 of them are tobacco-related. So mm-hmm. you absolutely have to start with tobacco. And... The tobacco cessation programs are available uh, at no cost. Uh, I know we have a quit can- a tobacco quit line in Arizona, and it's now a national quit line. There are things that can be done to help people quit smoking, but that is number one. If you're smoking, you're a walking time bomb for cancer, and you have to understand what you're doing to yourself, both at an early age and middle age. It reduces quality of life. It is becoming very, very costly to smoke. The single most effective strategy in getting people to stop smoking is to raise the tax on tobacco, and there's a good, there's outstanding evidence of that. But there are other things that can be done. Eighty thousand cases of cancer yearly are directly related to alcohol intake, and women should know that. Even one glass of wine a day is associated with a 40% increased risk for breast cancer, and that's been shown in virtually every epidemiological study, and the causation factors are understood. 
So some people we read sometimes, let me just touch on that for a minute, Dr. Roberts, we read sometimes that, uh, that, that wine is actually uh, g- good for you, that a glass of uh, red wine, let's say, is, is, uh, is healthy and is good for you. Not the case? I think that if um, women knew that, in fact, a full glass of wine, eight ounces of, of wine a day, is associated with a risk increase of 40%, if they would take that information and process it and go to one-third of a glass of wine because it's a dose response. So you can still enjoy your wine and you can prevent the development of breast cancer in your breasts. Um, I know that sounds controversial, but it's not controversial in terms of research. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. Obesity is responsible for probably 250,000 uh, cases of cancer each year, and we're becoming a more and more obese population. Fifty percent of all African-American women are obese by uh, direct standards that have been developed by the National Institutes of Health. Uh, physical inactivity is responsible for 80,000 cases. Thirty uh, percent of all Americans have no leisure time physical activity at all, and 50 percent of those who have less than a high school education have no leisure time physical activity. And physical activity is well identified by the Institute of Medicine as being a major factor for cancer causation. We can talk about the mechanisms, but I don't want to uh, overwhelm our right. listeners. Right, right. So, Bo, let me pull you in uh, uh, in for a minute because, I, you know, obviously the, the, the top of this conversation we're talking about uh, quitting smoking, tobacco cessation, and it's a huge a factor in in uh, in cancer, but boy, I know so many people talk about how it really is so uh, so addictive. If somebody does want to quit smoking, if they've been diagnosed with cancer, or just want to take a prevention measure and a healthier lifestyle, what are some of the resources that are out there, Bo, for people to to uh, to quit smoking? So there are many resources available. I mean, there there are excellent websites. Our website has information about about tobacco cessation. The Legacy Foundation um, has a wonderful a wonderful website and is very helpful with uh, information about tobacco cessation. The CDC Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, the government agency down in Atlanta, they have excellent resources. The American Cancer Society does, and I think virtually every comprehensive cancer center, of which the University of Arizona Comprehensive Cancer Center is is one of a of a fairly elite group, all would have excellent um, information on their websites, as well as the National Cancer Institute. So the information is there. Information hmm. is, can be had in abundance. The question is. Find some information and take advantage of it, and then talk to your healthcare professional and, and, and enlist his or her support in getting you to quit because it's not something that most people can do on their own, and they really need advice from a, from a medical professional, and they need help from their family. They need the support of their friends. It's an incredibly addictive substance, and yeah. we just need to recognize that and not blame the smoker. We need to blame the tobacco industry for manipulating teenagers into taking up a deadly habit. And that's my real bottom line. I never, I do everything I can to reduce the stigma of yes. associated with smoking, and in, including if someone is diagnosed with lung cancer, I never ask the question, did you smoke? 
Right. You're a person with cancer. You have the right to treatment, right to support, right to the same resources as any person with, uh, with cancer. Dr. Alberts, we're, we're heading uh, quickly to our break here, but you're talking about some pretty big, pretty big lifestyle changes here. Um, how do people do this in small bites or the, on a smaller scale, things that people can just incorporate into their daily routines that can have some preventative effect? Well, I think one, one of the selling points for this is that if you follow certain guidelines on physical activity, uh, diet change, um, sun exposure prevention, um, alcohol intake, and tobacco, your lifestyle and quality of life improve dramatically. Um, the quality of life of Americans is deteriorating as we become obese and don't follow just basic health promotion guidelines. So that's my plea, and in the next segment, maybe we can talk about what people can actually do to help yeah. them. I, I, yeah, I would love I would love to get to that because I think people are looking for some, you know, looking for some tips and 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 just small things that they can incorporate because we're talking about some pretty, you know, some pretty big changes and sometimes people try these things and feel uh, you know feel a little bit defeated and, and not being successful. So we're we're going to take a quick break. This is frankly speaking about cancer. We're talking today about cancer prevention, screening, early detection. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Hi, I'm Nick Nicolaitis, President and CEO of Morphotech, and we're delighted to be a sponsor of Cancer Support Communities, Frankly Speaking About Cancer Series. Morphotech and its parent company, Azi, are committed to human health care, and we recognize that patients and their families are the most important participants in the health care process. We salute our global advocacy partners who are devoted to improving the lives of people touched by cancer every day. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle coworkers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. The Cancer Support Community is ready to help by providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at over 100 locations around the world, the Cancer Support Community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-9355 or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. The Cancer Support Community, a global network of education and hope. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now, here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer, brought to you in part today by Genentech and Celgene. I'm Kim Tibaldo, and today I'm joined by Carolyn Aldiger, also known as Bo, President and Founder of the Prevent Cancer Foundation, and Dr. Dave Alberts, 
uh, the University of Arizona Cancer Center director. As I mentioned, February is National Cancer Prevention Month. We've just heard about some important steps people can take to help prevent cancer, but, uh, you know, even if with the healthiest of lifestyles, Certain cancers uh, uh, are not preventable. In the segment uh, now, I, I really want to talk about the importance of screening uh, and early detection for, uh, for for cancer. So, Bo, uh, you know, obviously, you know, we're gonna we're gonna dig in more to some of these prevention uh, tactics and techniques and things people can do. But but let, let let's jump into the screening piece uh, for a minute. Tell us about the importance of of of, of being screened for uh, for cancer. So, as you heard earlier on from Dr. Alberts, many cancers are preventable in a primary sense by simply um, changing your lifestyle habits. And in doing so, you can reduce your risk of cancer, you can, you can change your habits, you can know your body, and you can know your family history. You should know your family history because your family history is a guideline to getting screened for cancer. Now... Every cancer, case of cancer is genetic, but every case of cancer is not inherited. So really there are population-based guidelines for getting screened, and they vary according to the type of cancer. But the overall, I think, message is that even if you do everything right and even if you have no family history of cancer, you as an individual can still develop cancer. So early detection quite often is key to a successful outcome. There are a lot of cancers, there are several cancers that can actually be prevented through screening, and those include colorectal cancer. In other words, if, if you find a polyp, you can remove that polyp and you don't get cancer. Skin cancer can be prevented through screening. If a dermatologist gives you a full body exam and notices a pre-skin cancer, that cancer, that precancerous condition can be removed and you don't get skin cancer. And then the third one is cervical cancer because there's a, a condition that can be diagnosed that is not cervical cancer but is sort of a precancer and that precancer can be removed. So those are three kinds of cancers that can actually be prevented through screening. And then there are several other kinds of cancers that can be even though they can't be prevented in a precancerous stage, they can be detected early, and you have a much more, a much higher chance of get it, of having a successful outcome of your treatment. And those cancers include uh, breast cancer. There's a, there's some controversy about prostate cancer, and we recommend that for for the early detection of prostate cancer that men talk to their healthcare provider and see really what is the most appropriate. Um, path for them to take. And finally, um, we know a lot now about screening for lung cancer. Just a year, a little over a year ago, the largest and most expensive clinical trial in history was concluded early because it was shown that if you screen for lung cancer using a technology called low-dose spiral CT scanning, you can have, there is a significant mortality reduction or reduction in the number of deaths from lung cancer. And since lung cancer is the number one cancer killer of Americans and also of people around the globe, 
even a 20% reduction in death from lung cancer is a huge number of lives saved. So a, hu- a huge number. So, so let's so let's break this down a little bit, Bo. Um, kind of you know unpack this for our listeners. The uh, so let's get to the lung cancer piece for a minute. So you talked about this low dose uh, spiral CT uh, uh, screening. So um, who should be getting that screening, and are insurance companies and Medicare paying for that screening? That's a really outstanding question, and I think I'll start with the first, the first part of the question, who should be getting it? When the clinical trial was conducted, the people who were screened were over the age of 50, and they had a 20 or more um, year, pack years of smoking. And what that means is if you smoked a pack of cigarettes a day for a year, that's a pack year. If you smoked Two pack, and so 20 pack years would be 20 years of smoking a pack of cigarettes a day. I see. Okay. Or 10 years of smoking two packs of cigarettes two packs a, day. a day. So even if you started, let's say you started smoking when you were 16 and you quit when you were 26, you remain at higher risk of developing lung cancer for the rest of your life. Okay. And so I think a lot of people who are, who are diagnosed with lung cancer think, well, my gosh, I quit 30 years ago. Why am I getting this disease? But mm-hmm. it, it doesn't completely eliminate, it, there's so many, uh, there's so much damage that has been done to the lining mm-hmm. of the lungs by the carcinogens in tobacco smoke that you can never completely undo it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, um, so now that the, the study's stopped, what's happening in kind of standard practice with this uh, spiral CT? That, that's, that's the second part of your question. It's also yeah. a really good one. Right now, um, the U.S. Preventive Services Task Force, which is the government agency that issues guidelines about screening and other preventive services, has not revised its guidelines on lung cancer screening for about, I believe it's more than six years, even though they are mandated to revise screening guidelines every five years. The organization that has promulgated screening guidelines is the National Comprehensive Cancer Network, which is a group of uh, cancer centers around the country that issue guidelines about, certain ki- about treatment of certain kinds of cancer as well as screening. And they issued guidelines on lung cancer screening and recommended that anyone who, uh, who has had a 20-pack year history and is 50 or older should get screened for lung cancer. The next question is, where do you go for mm-hmm. that kind of screening? Mm-hmm. And you can find that information um, online. If you go to a, a cancer center near you, may have a screening program. It's just the uptake of the technology is, is just starting. Um, I'm familiar with one state, which is Utah, which is about to start a statewide uh, lung cancer screening program, and I guess the next sticky wicket is going to be who pays for it because right. until that preventive services task force issues its guidelines, insurance companies aren't likely to pay for it, which is really, really unfortunate. And the other the good news is it's not as expensive as even a mammogram. So how much is it? What's the market value of one of these screenings? Do you know? They can be done for as little as two hundred dollars. $200, okay. But if you have to make the choice between putting food on the table or That's right. shoes on your kid's feet or spending $200 to find out if you have lung cancer, 
It's, yeah. a, it's a difficult choice. It's going to the bottom of the list. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, so as we move along here, uh, Bo, what, what are the – I know there was also some controversy around the screening guidelines for breast cancer. Where did we net out on that, and what can we tell our listeners about when, when at what age, how often they should be screened for breast cancer? I believe that the guidelines that were put out about after the, there was a huge controversy uh, 15 years ago, and then the dust settled, and the guidelines were as follows. Every woman beginning at the age of 40 should have an annual mammogram. Okay. And that is not dependent on family history. That is simply, this is something you should do. And the key is annual, along with an annual clinical breast exam by a professional who has been trained in the methodology. And I think Dr. Alberts may have something to add on add to this, but I know he has said if you if you stretch it to two years, women always procrastinate. And if it's one year, maybe it'll take somebody fifteen or sixteen months. But mm-hmm. if it's two mm-hmm. years then it'll sometimes stretch out to three years. But And what is, and Dr. Alberts, so what 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 if someone does uh have a family history, does that change the, the scenario here? Well, I, this comes under the banner of personalized medicine or individualized medicine, so one size doesn't fit all. I certainly agree with Bo. Um, the data that support mammography screening as saving lives was based on mammography that, uh, techniques and technology that was developed in the 1960s and 70s. So... The new technology, the new mammographic technology is much better. Um, The digital mammography programs that exist in most centers. So if anything, the data are even stronger that you save lives uh, significantly with uh, yearly mammography testing. Um, And I think that... uh, then it becomes a question if someone has the BRCA1 or BRCA2 gene, the testing might be even done more uh, frequently, depending upon what those breasts check out. Now, so, Dr. Alberts, we, we just have a quick minute or two here until our break, but can you also just touch quickly on, you know, Bo mentioned there was some controversy around prostate cancer screening. Can you just touch on, on that, that controversy? Well, again, this really depends upon individualized medicine. Mm-hmm. But as you said, you brought it up, is you need to know your cancer risk. If you come from a prostate cancer family or if you're an African-American who's obese, then there's no question you ought to have close supervision. Uh, the most important test of all is a rectal exam on, a, on an annual basis. Mm-hmm. We shouldn't lose that. Starting at age 50, uh, all men should have uh, an annual rectal exam. And whether a PSA is done or not should depend on the family history and other risk factors such as obesity and high-fat diets and uh, that type of lifestyle. Okay. So, uh, so we really need to kind of, you know, connect with your doctor, talk about your family history, talk about all the other risk factors that you may be confronting and really create a, a, a kind of a screening uh, a screening program uh, with your healthcare uh, with your healthcare professional um, I think we're getting some really uh, valuable information here um, around uh, cancer prevention uh, uh, cancer screening and um, 
Uh, we've got two experts on the topic uh, on our show today. This is, uh, frankly speaking, about cancer. Uh, you know, we're going to jump back in in just a minute. We're going to talk about some of the research advances uh, in, in cancer prevention, some of the research, some of the clinical trials uh, that, are going to, that are going on out there in the area of cancer prevention uh, and cancer screening. We're talking a little bit today about what's happening now, but uh, we're going to jump into what's on the horizon uh, right after this break. Step into a healthier you. Voice America Health & Wellness. Cancer. It's a lonely word. Terms I don't understand. Choices I never thought I'd have to make. But there is hope and help. Support from cancer survivors. Links to research and clinical trials. Help with finances and access to care. All behind you at Breakaway from Cancer. Created by Amgen to empower cancer patients. The cancer support community is proud to be a partner of Breakaway from Cancer. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle coworkers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. The cancer support community is ready to help by providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at over 100 locations around the world, the cancer support community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-9355 or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. The Cancer Support Community a global network of education and hope. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer, brought to you in part today by Millennium and Amgen Oncology. I'm Kim Tibaldo, and today we're joined by Bo Aldage, President and Founder of the Prevent Cancer Foundation, and Dr. Dave Alberts, University of Arizona Cancer Center Director and Vice Chairman of the Prevent Cancer Foundation. Uh, today, uh, we've heard about steps people can take to prevent cancer, uh, the importance of, of screening and early detection. There's still so much that we don't know. Uh, still so much that needs to be researched in uh, uh, in this segment here. We will learn about some uh, advances, uh, research advances in cancer prevention and screening and, and uh, uh, learn a little bit about uh, what's on the horizon. Um, Dr. Alberts, can you give us an overview of some of the major uh, research advances in the cancer prevention field? What's hot in the cancer prevention uh, research field right now, and, and what do we see on the horizon? Well, I I would say that um, there are there is evidence in clinical trials that the diet can be influential in terms of reducing risk. For example, in the Women's Health Initiative, the 50,000 women who were randomized to a low-fat diet 
had a versus a standard diet, and the low-fat diet was not severe. It was in the range of what the uh, National Academy of Science Institute of Medicine recommends, and that is less than 30% of calories from fat. Uh, in that particular study, the risk of ovarian cancer was reduced by 42%. Uh, these were women who went on a low-fat diet for a period of uh, more than 12 years. Um, there is a study that was done, a very nicely done study, a randomized trial of women with stage 1 and 2 breast cancer who were randomized to a low-fat diet. In this case, it was more stringent, less than 20% of calories from fat for five years after they had had their surgical procedure, their radiation therapy, and plus or minus chemotherapy or hormonal therapy within one year of diagnosis and there was a 25% reduction in the risk of recurrence compared to the woman who had a standard fat diet, which is, for American women, around 38 to 39% of calories from fat. Um, there are uh, studies that have been performed with a arthritis, coming uh, with a bone mineralization uh, medicine called raloxifene or Avista, um, that showed a, about a 50% reduction in the risk in postmenopausal women of developing breast cancer over a five-year period uh, with a, a medication that's very safe and used for bone mineralization. Um, there are um, studies in colon cancer from our institution looking at people, men and women, who had polyps in their colon resected with colonoscopy and then randomized to a two-drug combination, including an arthritis drug called Sulindac or Clinirel, plus an experimental drug called difluoromethylornithine or DFMO, in, in a 350 people randomized to double placebo or those two drugs, at the end of five years, there was a greater than 90% reduction in the risk of having a recurrence with an advanced adenoma that are the dangerous types of adenoma. And just in relationship to vaccine research, uh, we've had two very large, two or three very large studies with these new vaccines that uh, basically prevent the development of human papillomavirus 16 and 18 that were responsible for the development of cervix cancer, where there was uh, almost a 99% reduction in women getting HPV. So the very cause of cervix cancer in the vast majority of women was eradicated with a vaccine that can be given safely to uh, young teenage women. And um, I, I have three granddaughters, and I'm going to make sure that my granddaughters are vaccinated for HPV 16 and 18 so that they don't have to deal with the issues. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, Dr. Alberts, I think two things that we uh, that sometimes creep up in the news um, and maybe you can help us understand or set the record straight. Sometimes we see uh, uh, some studies around aspirin uh, in cancer, and I know sometimes we see studies around vitamin D and, 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 uh, and cancer. And any data in those two areas that you can share? Yes. Well, the aspirin data are much stronger uh, than the vitamin D data. Uh, but the aspirin data in virtually all cohort studies, long-term longitudinal studies of people's habits, both with respect to their lifestyle and also their uh, pill-taking, 
show that aspirin can reduce the risk of breast cancer by 50% long-term uh, low-dose aspirin use. Mm-hmm. Same thing applies to the other NSAIDs, uh, non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs such as ibuprofen. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's true also for colorectal cancer. Long-term aspirin use reduces risk of colorectal cancer after 20 years of intake by almost 50%. Wow. Wow. But obviously, you know, folks should talk to the doctor before starting anything like this so that, uh, you know, they may have other, you know, factors where they shouldn't be, uh, you know, shouldn't be taking aspirin or other things. So we just want to really encourage folks to uh, to talk to the doctor. I know, um, uh, uh, Dr. Albert, you mentioned earlier that um, uh, I just want to go back to the exercise question for a minute and again, without getting too technical. Is, is, is uh, do we see some preventive value in exercise because, because obviously it helps people lose weight and we see the link between obesity and cancer or are there other physical benefits of, of exercise aside from the weight loss that, that help with prevention? Actually, you hit it on the head. There was a recent study in obese women, uh, a large study, that showed that women who are obese, and we know, have a almost threefold increased risk for cancer of the uterus, endometrial cancer. Um, and the study showed that women who were physically active and that by an hour a day of physical activity, um, five to six days a week, had a reduced risk of endometrial cancer down to the standard risk, which is still a very low risk, so like 1.5% over, or over 10 years, without losing weight. So they did not have to lose weight physical activity actually kicks off mechanisms to reduce inflammatory, things called inflammatory cytokines and other proteins that cause cell proliferation in the colon, in the breast, in the endometrium. So very clearly, these mechanisms occur without having to lose weight. And I'm not saying that women or men shouldn't lose weight. Sure, sure. I'm just saying that there's an independent evaluation of these risks reductions that show the mechanisms are real. Yes. It's not uh, superficial. And when I talk about an hour a day of exercise, I'm talking about 30 minutes of walking in the morning and 30 minutes of walking in the evening after dinner. All right. So we're not running, we don't have to be running marathons here to have some some, uh, health benefit. Right. Brisk walking makes all the difference. And I'll just add the Institute of Medicine has three levels of evidence supporting their recommendations. The highest level is called level one. And for colon cancer, physical activity has level one evidence that you can get a 50% reduction in risk for colon cancer. And level two uh, evidence for endometrial and breast cancer. So it's serious stuff that's been studied by real experts. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's great, really great information, and I'm glad we're drilling down like this. Bo, before we go to our break, I know since its inception, the Prevent Cancer Foundation has provided more than $125 million for cancer research, education, community outreach. Tell me, Bo, what what are your uh, what are the current uh, uh, priorities at your organization? What kind of grants are you funding, and, and what do you hope that funding will achieve? We have always. Funded, prioritized funding young investigators because we believe that we have got to nurture the next generation 
of scientists, and right now it is harder and harder for these um, young scientists who may have completed a They've completed their studies, they've completed their um, postdoctoral research, but they haven't quite gotten to the point where they can compete for funding from the National Cancer Institute. So we try to provide fellowships that enable them to conduct independent research and get themselves ready for that next level to become an independent investigator. We think that that is absolutely crucial, particularly in these days of, of what amounts to really cutbacks from the federal government to the cancer research budget because and if we keep the cancer research budget flat, well, because of inflation, that really means there's been a decrease. So I think that's a very, very important um, area of our funding. We also occasionally will fund something that we consider sort of a high-risk but high-reward um, project. If, it, if it's successful, the, the potential is huge, and yet the chances of success may be lower than they are in a study that may just add um, one more bit of information, an incremental uh, amount of information to something that's already known. We think a really exciting area is the area of biomarkers for detection of cancer, and wouldn't it be wonderful if we could find colon cancer or any number of other kinds of cancer with a blood test as opposed to having to have an invasive procedure like a colonoscopy. Um, that would reduce the cost of detecting cancer, and it would make it a lot less um, onerous, a lot, remove a lot of the fear of some of the cancer testing. I mean, a lot of women just don't want to go have a mammogram because they're uncomfortable. So if we could, if we could detect breast cancer in a blood test, that would be quite a dramatic right. breakthrough as well. And but so overall, got, we, it would, it would yeah. help people have better outcomes and reduce the cost. And, Bill, we've got just a quick minute until the, until the break here, but um, the, the one I hear about a lot is colonoscopy. That's the one that people don't want to have. Are there, are, is there progress happening on other forms of detecting colon cancer? There is, but colonoscopy is still the gold standard. Um, there are better ways of, of detecting um, blood in the stool, for example, which is, a, which is a way of detecting colon cancer. But a colonoscopy is the one test that can actually find a polyp before mm-hmm. it becomes cancerous and remove it at the same time. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. for that reason, it's, it's the gold standard. All right, so we just have to tell folks to... to uh, get over it. Get over it. <laughs> Suck it up. <laughs> it's a great, easy, really easy way to, uh, to save your life, and, and um, I think we have to be doing more to, to educate folks about that. Uh, this is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. Uh, don't go away. We're talking about cancer prevention, early detection. We're having a great conversation. We're going to be right back. to a healthier you. Voice America Health and Wellness. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle coworkers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members or explain to friends your priorities have changed. The Cancer Support Community is ready to help by providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at over 100 locations around the world, 
the Cancer Support Community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-9355 or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. The Cancer Support Community, a global network of education and hope. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. I'm Kim Tibaldo. Today I'm joined by Bo Aldiger, President and Founder of the Prevent Cancer Foundation, Dr. Dave Alberts, University of Arizona Cancer Center. We're having a great conversation, steps people can take to prevent cancer, the importance of getting screened, uh, advances in research. I know it's a lot of information for folks to process, and, and we're going to help you with some uh, with some resources and, and um uh, and, you know, I think one of the things we're learning is that there are some simple steps that folks can take in terms of some, some, some small lifestyle changes that can have a big impact. We're going to get into that uh, in a minute. But um, just before we round that piece out, Bo, are there, are there uh, uh, other advances that we were talking about, research advances in the last uh, segment and progress that we're making in research and, and what's exciting out there? Anything else we add uh, on that conversation? I think I'd like to add the fact that we're making progress and we need to do more in behavioral research because I think it's been emphasized that we can we could really reduce incidence and mortality from cancer dramatically. The American Cancer Society I recommends, if I'm not mistaken, um, or, or says that 50% of death from cancer can be eliminated if people do right now what we already know, that means mm-hmm. we can cut cancer death in half if we could get people to act on what we know about quitting smoking, about using being safe in the sun, about having their daughters vaccinated for cervical cancer, about getting motivated, making that appointment, and going to get screened, losing weight, becoming physically active. All those lifestyle choices we know all that right now. We don't need more research. And so, but the research we need is of the behavioral nature because we need to know how to motivate people, what kinds of information they need, what's going to get them to act and take advantage of what we already know. And let's just cut this cancer death rate in half. Well, I, you know, I, I, you know, I love the idea of it. I think it logically, it obviously makes sense, but there are some reasons that it's not you know, that it's not happening. So what advice can we give to folks? Um, I'm going to ask both of you. What advice can we give to folks if they're, they're listening to us today and they're saying, you know what, I want to make some changes um, that will uh, help reduce my risk of cancer, perhaps lead to preventing my risk of cancer. I, you know, I want to make some changes for myself. Where do I get resources about that? What can I, you know, what can I do to make that happen? I mean, I think sometimes in the screening conversation, it gets very uh, complicated. You know, this is in the news, that is in the news. 
uh, it changes. Am I supposed to go every two years? Am I supposed to go every year? At what age am I supposed to start? Um, lo- love to see if we can point folks, Bo, to uh, any resources that you can recommend to either learn some more about how they can change their behavior and learn some more about some of these screenings. One one wonderful resource is the Prevent Cancer Foundation's website, which is www.preventcancer.org, and from it you can you can read all about the prevention of many types of cancer, and you can even download a guide to preventable cancers, which talks all about risk factors and symptoms and screening technology, um, family history. It enables you to um, fill out your family history so you see if there's, if there's some sort of um, history in your family that, that will predispose you perhaps to having a higher risk of developing cancer. And then, um, as I mentioned earlier in the program, there are numerous websites that have really good information about cancer prevention. There are numerous websites, period, and the the key is to know which ones have reliable and accurate information. So I would recommend that the comprehensive cancer centers that are designated by the National Cancer Institute and the National Cancer Institute's website would lead you to those, such as the University of Arizona, which has a very strong prevention program, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. All these have been thoroughly uh, reviewed and vetted by experts, and so you know that the information is reliable. So, Dr. Alberts, I know, uh, um, you know, I know a lot of folks don't know their family history or, or uh, you know, perhaps don't know what their grandparents died from, um, uh, but, but let's say we do know something about our, 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 our family history. Um, you know, let's say we've got a lot of cancer in our family, or let's say my mom had breast cancer and her sister had breast cancer and I've got an aunt or a cousin who's had breast cancer. You know, how do you know at what point you should get some hereditary or genetic screening to see if as a result of that family history you may be at a higher risk? Maybe I'd like to do a little um, advertising of our website because it just received the number one award in the country as a healthcare website from the Journal of Healthcare Management. Congratulations. Great. Uh, I'll just say that the University University of Arizona uh, CancerCenter.edu is a great place to go. Another place to go, and I don't think uh, that Bo mentioned this, is uh, knowyourcancerrisk.com, and that was set up by the Harvard School of Public Health uh, to actually, again, what uh, Bo was saying, uh, to fill out form, uh, you know, a computer-generated form, and find out what your risk is. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. my knowledge is that's free of charge. Um, but I would just like to emphasize that there are some very simple rules, um, one of which is that we need to uh, get corporations, large corporations, to go smoke-free. Now, the most advanced corporations are doing this, the most advanced institutions are doing this, but if you can get uh, that done, go smoke-free, and then uh, workers are required to be away. They cannot smoke anywhere near their job locations. Mm -hmm. That's a powerful incentive. Either that or you lose your job. Mm -hmm. And losing a job is a big incentive for not smoking. 
And in the area of diet, if you uh, look at your plate, and two-thirds of that plate is filled with vegetables and grains, then that's a great start toward improving your diet. Mm-hmm. If, you mm-hmm. look at, if you look at physical activity, as I said earlier, 30 minutes of brisk walking in the morning and in the evening, just 30 minutes with your dog or whatever or your best friend uh, or your spouse uh, can reduce your risk for the common cancers by 30 to 50%. Uh, getting vaccinated, as we talked about, at an early age for human papillomavirus, and making sure you're vaccinated for hepatitis A and B because you don't want to get liver cancer, which is a totally preventable, virtually totally preventable disease. So the very simple kinds of things, staying out of the sun in the midday and covering up when you are in the sun. So I'm just making a great appeal that these are not tough changes. These are things that you can do, that people can do without spending money. Yeah, I I think absolutely. And I think these are the kinds of tips, uh, you know, that people are looking for. This is the the kind of information that people want. Um, And I think, you know, frankly, most of the things that we've talked about on the show today, people can can start taking action right now, can start taking action uh, today. Get on the phone right now with your best friend and uh, say we're going to take a walk tonight. Um, uh, You know, these are things that you really can uh, thoughtfully and and, and easily uh, implement. And, and, uh, again, I think the statistics are startling in terms of, you know, what what, uh, the impact would be uh, of, of reducing and eliminating cancer in this country. The impact of these small changes, things that we know, things that are available um, to us today. Uh, uh, we've had a great conversation today. I'm so grateful to both of you. Uh, Bo Aldiger, President and Founder of the Prevent Cancer Foundation, and Dr. Dave Albers from the University of Arizona Cancer Center. I just want to mention those two websites. Um, uh, Bo's organization, the Prevent Cancer Foundation, is www.preventcancer.org. And again, uh, 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 good friends of the cancer support community and uh, for many, many years. And um, I want to give a shout-out to Dr. Albert's website, University of Arizona Cancer Center. edu. Uh, another site that Dr. Alberts mentioned, knowyourcancerrisk.com. Uh, um, uh, I also want to mention, if you know anyone who's been diagnosed with cancer, uh, you do not have to face cancer alone. The cancer support community offers free support, education, and hope to anyone affected by cancer, visit cancersupportcommunity.org. We just launched a brand new website, cancersupportcommunity.org. Lots of great resources. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter. Um, You can make a donation at our website online. Um, I appreciate everyone listening today. I appreciate our guests and their wonderful contributions. This is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. Until next time, be well, do well, live well. Thank you for joining us for Frankly Speaking About Cancer with your host, Kim Tibaldo. We're here for you every Tuesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. In the meantime, stay connected online at cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. 
The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.